Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future. I'm Dr. Jody, and as an anxiety expert and adult child and adolescent doctor of clinical psychology, I'm on a mission to create a world where every person can manage anxiety and thrive. Over the last 30 years, I've coached global organizations and worked across clinical and educational settings, including Harvard Medical School. In 2015, I founded The Anxiety Clinic with a purpose to help adults, kids and teens to overcome anxiety, stress, behavioral challenges, low mood and burnout and live life with happiness and well-being. As a keynote speaker and executive coach, I love to help individuals, leaders and teams to master their mindset, enhance well-being and achieve resilient high performance. I also share my knowledge in my best-selling book, The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry and Build Resilience. Join me as I go in session with celebrities, elite athletes, and business leaders to find out how they've leveraged the superpower of anxiety, risen above challenges, and aligned to passion and purpose. So it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking with the one and only Mark Beretta today on our podcast. Mark, it is such a joy to connect with you today. How are you doing? Jodie, I'm doing good, thank you. And I'm thrilled to be talking to you, Doc. And to be honest, I'm a little bit smashed at the moment. We've come up a massive weekend at Bathurst, which is incredible. Probably the, almost the longest uh, continuous broadcast day of the year for me on the Sunday. And we've had three big days before that live. So I feel a little bit smashed, but um, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. That's kind of what it's all about, is saying, yeah. I'm smashed, but what the hell life is to be lived and embrace the moments, Yeah. And which is, you know, what I've seen of you is this is how you live your life. There's always something phenomenal that you are getting your heart and your talent stuck into. So yeah, it's just such a pleasure to connect with you today. And I am incredibly inspired by the work that you do and having watched you over the years and seeing you always doing something magnificent and the heart that you have in every interview that you do and every person that you put up on that pedestal that you do so beautifully in your work as a journalist. So tell me a little bit about what you do. Dr. Jody, thank you. That was lovely. So I uh, am the sport, uh, I'm one of the hosts on Sunrise in the morning on Channel 7. I predominantly look after the sport presenter. That also encompasses virtually anything that, that Seven does in sport I can get involved in. So I've been involved in motor racing for a long time, which I absolutely, that's probably a passion. I love that. I've worked in AFL football, uh, 13 summer and winter Olympic games I've been to, which is a blessing because I thought I'd only ever get to one, which I thought would be great. So to get to 13 is pretty special. Yeah, Commonwealth Games. Uh, Look, to be honest, I've I've probably commentated, worked on at at my ripe old age, just about every sport you can be involved in. And I love it. I still love it today. I still get excited when the alarm goes off at 3.35 in the morning. I still want to get out, get up and and get into it. You know, I just feel that at that time of day, you've got a bit of a jump start on the day and you've got a brand new fresh day and and there's no other option because you've got to get out of bed and go to work. So, um, yeah, you just, you know, you just get up and do it at that time. People think it's a crazy time, but it's, it's amazing how you get used to it. I think the team's got a lot to do with it too. You know, we're lucky to, I'm lucky to work with a great team who I, I love hanging around with, I, I highly respect. And, you know, there's always another adventure. There's always something different happening every day. And it can be completely different to what we had in mind as the, as the plan for the day. So. I, I love the job. I, I love what I get to do. And outside of that, I've got commitments with uh, the Tour de Cure Cycling Charity that I got involved with a, a long time ago. I'm now a, 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 on the board of that charity and I've been with them for probably about 14 years or so now. So, And, and that's that's probably, my, my I think, my greatest achievement. I'm, I'm proudest of that. And I feel I've got a million things going on at the moment. I'm also an Army Reservist. I'm a major in the Army Reserve, which I, I get great satisfaction from. And I, I love working with our soldiers and, and our Defence Force. So, yeah, I've, I have many things going on, but they're all things I've always wanted to do. So I feel like I'm at a, a good point in life where I'm doing those things that I've, I really wanted to do for a long time. 
wow, what an absolute superstar you are. And I'm reflecting on the 13 summer and winter Olympic Games. That sounds like an Olympic record in and of itself, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't checked. I, think, I, think, I think Bruce McEvaney's got me. I think Bruce has been to one more, but I'm, but I'm getting there. Yes. And uh, I, it, to be honest, that, that's an honour because, um, like I said, to get to one Olympic Games, Jodie, is, is really special. But to be able to get to, to that many summer and winter. And it's the great things I've been able to be a part of along the way. You know, I've been part of people's incredible successes. I've been able to stand there in proximity and, and, and sort of see how that unfolded and how it changed their lives. And, mm. you know, to me, that, that's a real privilege. So I really yeah. you know, have great respect for that. Amazing. And, and what I love about what you're describing is how you have really brought it back to your passion and back to your heart and curated your life, you know, because nothing happens uh, just as a coincidence necessarily. We lean into these experiences. And when I watch Sunrise, because I'm an avid fan, um, that's when I'm not working from 5am myself. What is so beautiful about the team at Sunrise is that there is this amazing culture to the community in Sunrise and the energy that you give out is really core to who you are, that positive energy, that positive mindset and can-do attitude. And really, it's cultivated by all of you, that feel-good ripple effect, which just radiates out onto the broader community. So congratulations. I applaud all of you for the work that you do. It's really outstanding. Thank you. That's very kind. I think Koshi's had a lot to do with that. He's really... He's been the keeper of that culture. You know, he established that pretty early on. And I think the fact we've all been in the job for a long time, that there's no ego there. And we, we've sort of all moved past that sort of it's about me phase a long time ago. And we realised that what we can do and how it can impact people, I think. Um, we're getting too philosophical about it. I think we, we're, we're aware of, of what the role can get done and how we can impact people. And we're always looking for ways to to connect with people and to help. That's probably what steered me towards Tour de Cure. Uh, Koshi's done incredible work in his own right. You know, there's the Kosh Family Centre out in Western Sydney that he's put his time into with uh, Youth Off the Streets and Father Chris Riley. Matt's got her own things that, that she's pursued and, and Eddie and Sam Mack likewise. Sam Mack's passion has been about animals, but we've all got these passions that through the show we've either developed or we've been able to pursue even more than what we had before. I, I don't think, in my case, Tour to Cure would have been where it is today with, you know, we've raised over $80 million. We've, we've helped fund 80 international breakthroughs in cancer research, which is significant. We've refunded something like 530 Australian research projects. That wouldn't have happened without the machinery of Sunrise and, and being able to take it out further through Sunrise to the viewers and, and for them likewise to get involved. You know, it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. We can shout all the goodness we want, but if it's not coming back, it just doesn't work. But when it does, it, it's an amazing connection, an amazing Amazingly powerful thing. And we really get stuff done. And we've shown that in, in times of, of need, you know, when we had cyclones, when we have a natural disaster, mm. um, we were able to ra- rally tradies through our show, we're able to rally corporates through our show to get up and, and do things and make a difference. And it's so much more efficient than waiting for something to happen than waiting for government to do something or, or someone else or a charity to eventually get there. It's a powerful thing. And, and we have great respect for it. It's really, it's a special feeling. Yeah. And when we talk about peak performance, you know, the work that I do as eye performance coach, you have really nailed it in getting to the core of what high performance is. And when you mentioned about taking yourself out of ego, taking yourself out of that what's in it for me kind of aspect, which really undermines our capacity for high performance. And if we think about the pivot and the mindset pivot, it's very much about moving out of ego, which takes you into fight or flight, takes you into suboptimized kinds of behaviors and bringing it back to heart and having clarity on what that heart-driven pull actually is, what ignites your flame and, uh, you know, your passion and your purpose. How magnificent that you've aligned yourself to so many things that are deeply entrenched in your personal values. You know, we've had the beautiful opportunity. I remember meeting you on set at the Seven Studios. And ever since then, you know, we really connected because you are such a man of alignment to your values. And that really resonated with me right from the very first time we met. So I'd love to hear if you were to sort of highlight what some of those values are. The word values gets used a lot. And sometimes we don't necessarily reflect on what it is. What are the foundation stones that drive that heart-driven pull towards high performance and thriving? So what would be some of your core values that's taken you in the direction of Tour de Cure and the work that you do with the Army and Sunrise? I'd love to hear. 
It's a good question, Dr. Jody. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> Now's your time. Now's your time. Okay. All right, it? here we go. I, yeah. I reckon the first one is honesty. First thing you do is you've got to be dead honest with yourself and, and the people around you. Now, once you do that, you, you, you quickly sort of strip back to, to, to what's important to you. With honesty, trust alongside there is, is really important. You've got to trust the people around you and, and you've got to give trust to people as well. You've got to empower the people around you. I've always found, and I, and I find more and more so, the power of the team and the power of lifting up, up other people to step back and to be able to, to push others forward and, and lift others up. I think once you reach that point, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. It, it feels great, but it's also really powerful. You know, when, when you're empowering people and, and you're encouraging people, I think that's one of the most important things you can do. And I look particularly at, at our teenagers at the moment and, and all the crisis that's going on in, in their world. I know what it meant to me when, when I was young to, to just have one person who believed in me. Mm-hmm. You know, it can change the world. So I try very hard to be that person for other people and particularly for young people to help them, you know, find mm-hmm. their, their way and, and just have to be that person who might just light the spark inside them because I've been lucky enough to have people who've done that for me. And it, as you know, it, it makes a world of difference. Hard work is, is probably no surprise, but it's something that I think is a, is a cornerstone of, of what we all do. And it, you can say it's probably easy when you find that you love what you do, but I think that's so important to, to find that thing that ignites you every morning, that thing that makes you think. And you, you almost can't sleep at night because you think, how can I do this better? You know, what yeah. else can I do? And, and how can I work with this person? And, and what's the opportunity in this thing in front of me? Without hard work, it just doesn't happen. My dad always had a great saying. He was, he was a, a plumber and started his own plumbing business and probably the hardest working bloke I ever knew, no. And he said to me, you may not be the, the brightest person in the room, but you can always be the hardest worker. And mm. nine times out of ten, that will get you there. And I have to work with that because I'm generally not the brightest person in the room and you're <laughs> the most talented, but I do try the hardest working because I know I can control that. And, and I get, I find a tremendous satisfaction from that too, from, you know, from, from putting in the effort. That old saying that you always get back what you put in. You know, if you, you put your best into something, you'll get something good back. You know, if, if you just have a, a, a half effort at something, you'll get a half return. So those, those probably those values of honesty, being honest with yourself and others, and trusting, giving it and, and getting it, um, and, and working hard are probably, I'd, I'd say, probably the three things that are the most important to me. Wow. Oh my goodness. So many gold nuggets in there uh, that I could jump on and, and explore in more detail. They were absolutely fantastic. And that just that determination and that grit. And I love what you said about bring it into and what a pearl of wisdom from your beautiful father, bringing it into what is in your control. And uh, if we think about high performance and thriving, you know, we struggle and we grapple and we worry about the stuff that's out of our control, but the capacity to build self-awareness and bring it back to values and values-driven actions around what's in your control and focusing on effort, that is one of the absolute superpowers that there is, is I talk about taking the focus. I mean, worry gets us focusing in on the future and all of the what ifs when you can just really notice what's going on there and bring your mind back to focusing on effort and uh, dare I say, kicking the shit out of effort. Am I allowed to (laughs) I like it. Kicking the shit out of effort, right? Taking it one step further and being really proud of yourself for that effort. Because, you know, people who aspire towards greatness oftentimes self-flagellate, let's say, you know, because it's the should be more, should do more, if only I could be more. And that's focusing on the future in a fight or flight kind of way. But bringing it back to effort and being super proud of yourself for the amazing effort that you put in, even if the outcome stuffs up from time to time, which is life, right? That is testament to high performance. So go you, man. That's amazing. And you know, Dr. Jody, I'm not saying it's always perfect. Like I, I do have that moment, those moments where I, I doubt myself and I, I might be going on stage somewhere and I, you know, I, I feel sick in the tummy about what's about to happen. I think it's, it's what you do next. You know, that, I, I love that, that philosophy of what defines you is what you do next from every moment. You know, here, here you are in this position. All right. You've, you've got choices, multiple choices. Your next step defines where you go and what you do. And I, I think that's, that's important too. You know, it's, um, no matter where you find yourself, it, it, it's what you do next. That, that really makes a difference. Absolutely right. And so let's talk about that sick in the stomach kind of feeling, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd love to know what's going on there. Let's say you've got a big gig, you know, you do lots of MCing work, you're always on, right? What would be a situation that comes to mind when you think about that sick in the stomach kind of trigger that was going on? What, yeah. What's a situation that comes to mind? 
Probably um, every, I'm pretty good at sunrise now. I've, I've got that into a routine, but I'd say just about every MC job. And my, my biggest MC job was um, Buckingham Palace. I MC for the Queen and, and Prince Philip when they announced the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. So work had flown me over and now I'm in London and, and I'm about to go on a stage in the forecourt of Buckingham Palace. There's 10,000 people at the gates. It's also the Commonwealth, it's Commonwealth Day in London which means every Commonwealth leader is there assembled sitting in front of me. The Queen and, and Prince Philip and all the other VIP guests are all there as well. And I'm about to go on and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I, I don't belong. I need to get out of here. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, it, it, yeah, it's that moment, you know, that you, it's what you do next. And I thought, you know, I can't let people down. You know, I, I'm, I'm here for a reason. I've been sent to do this job and someone thinks I can do it. So actually it was Peter Beattie. Peter Beattie was the head of the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games and he rang and said, look, would you come and do this? <laughs> You're kidding, of course I would. And it was, it was a fantastic experience. And, and I always, but for me, I try and imagine how to feel afterwards. So I try and project myself forward and imagine how I might feel afterwards. And that can either of two ways. I, I think I'm, you're either going to be really disappointed that you either turned your back and ran or yeah. that you did a bad job. That'd be horrible. Or by the time I get to the end of this in an hour or two's time, I could feel fantastic that I did something really good and everyone had a good time and I helped people have a great, memorable time. I find by, by doing that, it just helps me center a little bit more and, and get rid of those sick feelings in the tummy, those butterflies and those self-doubts, which we I think pretty much we all experience from time to time. Mm, wow, what a great little, strategy. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my way of dealing with it anyway. That's amazing. And so if you think about that prior to going on stage and what are some of the worry thoughts that are going on inside your mind just to really help people to recognize, you know, even amazing uh, individuals who have achieved such phenomenal um, success in life have these sorts of worry stories and worry thoughts yeah. and we're all in it together, right? So I'm really curious to know what are some of the worry thoughts that come up for you when you're about to go on stage in front of royalty, what's going on? It's probably like a tornado. It's just a, a spinning of a million thoughts and one just jumps out and, and hits in your head. So it's, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm, I'm not prepared enough to do this. I haven't done enough research. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to pronounce the names wrong. No one will like me. All of those things all happening at once and they're all just going, they're like little spot fires that, that are happening in your mind while you're trying to actually focus on what you've got to do. And I just find it. Other tricks I have is I don't spend much time with people before I've got to do something big like that. Like I really need a, a quiet space to focus and, and do what I have to do. Over time, you learn to deal with it. But I have to admit, they really go away, those feelings. But we get better at managing them and, and overcoming them. I've had things coming up over the next few weeks that I will go through these feelings again. And probably the good thing now is even by talking about it, I know what will happen. I know how I feel. Mm. I know I've been through it before and I know I can get through it and I know it'll be a you know, fingers crossed, a good result. So from that experience, you, you probably get better at it. I have never not had those feelings. But they say too that, you know, that's performance anxiety. You know, that's that's what helps you step up and, and do a good job and just put you on your toes. I like that idea, but I don't like the feeling. No, exactly right. And you, uh, my friend, are the absolute testament of what I consider the superpower of anxiety and, you know, your capacity to move from anxiety into effective high performance habits and resilient actions. Because what you absolutely described is the core to, you know, the work that I do with my, my clients as a high performance coach is the ability to stand up to or notice and accept that those feelings will be there. Those thoughts will be there. They won't necessarily go away, but it's how can we build awareness and sit with the discomfort and acceptance around them, but bring it back to values and bring it back to your values. And again, you bring it back to a value of kindness and a value of creating that positive impact for the people around you. You described it exactly as that just then. And this is just really the essence. So often the common thread of the amazing people that I have the opportunity to work with who experience anxiety at various levels of severity is this common thread of kindness and this common thread of empathy and a passion around making a difference in other people's lives. It is the care factor at play. So well done in really enabling yourself to not be bowled over by it, but to really um, realign to high performance habits around it, which is absolutely fantastic. 
you've spoken in front of royalty. I'm sure you've met with royalty as well. <laughs> Tell me about some of the other amazing interviews you have done along the way and some of the highlights of the people that you have uh, worked with. I've probably been lucky enough to interview every everyone who's significant in, in world sport over, what have I been, 30, almost 30 years at Channel 7 now. That's been a thrill. My, my favourites would be, um, to be honest, Ash Barty is my favourite interview because I, I love everything about the way she goes about it. And the thing that impresses me about Ash is when she talks about, you ask Ash about her own success and she starts talking about we, the team, that the success is never about her. The things that don't go right when it doesn't work, that's when she, she takes it. It, it. That's Ash. You know, that's, that's me. I didn't, I did that. But when it's success, it's all about the team. You know, we, we planned to do this and, and we were successful because we did this. And, you know, as a team, we went here, then we went there, then we won in French Open, then we won at Wimbledon, then we won the Australian Open. And, you know, we'd mapped that. And I, I just think for her age, she's just an amazing talent, but an amazing perception of life and, and, and how people work together. And, just that ability to park herself and make it about those people around her who, who have significant roles. But the reality is she gets out there. She's the star of the show. She gets out there and, and she gets that job done. So for me, Ash is magnificent. Um, oh, how fantastic like, is that? Yeah, yeah. I never get tired of talking to Ash because she's got it. And she sees the world very in a very simplistic way, you know, in, in the most lovely way. Like that's not to say she doesn't understand how complex everything is. She does, but she sees a simple way through things. You know, she just has this great vision. And I think that's part of her success as, as well. And to have the courage to be at the top of your game. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of tennis players around the world who are striving to get to number one in the world. And when you get there, all you think about is how long can I hold this for? You know, how long can I stay at the top of the mountain? Mm -hmm. And Ash got to the top of the mountain and said, I like the view. That's great. There are other mountains I got to go. And, yes. And stepped away, which was incredibly courageous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've got this great admiration for Ash and I, I just love chatting to her. But to be honest, I take something away from everyone I, I chat to, I think. It's probably not supposed to be the way, but I just find, you know, these people achieve incredible things. You don't get there for no reason. You know, for whatever reason, they've got this incredible either skill, talent or internal drive to get it done. Mm -hmm. And so I, I probably try and take a little lesson from everyone while I'm doing the interview as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've been like, you know, many, many incredible people to talk to. Really and, awesome. And I still love the job. You know, I still, still love doing that. That's the highlight of it, actually. It, it's a privilege to be able to, to get in and, and to talk to those people and, and to find out what makes them tick. Lewis Hamilton's another one for me. I, I like Lewis Hamilton because Lewis is Lewis. You know, he's not trying to be anyone else or he's not trying to fit a mole. He's just doing his thing. He's really, really good at it, you know, mm -hmm. and I just think for that reason. And you got me thinking now as to, to what makes these, what connects all these people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a trueness to your, to your values and a trueness mm -hmm. to yourself. These people are very comfortable in what they're doing. They're very focused on what they're doing. And they've made it to the top and, and they have the ability, whether they choose to or not, to, to be there for a long time. But they are, you know, they're, they're, they're remarkable people. So, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate. Yeah, amazing. And I love what you have said about, and particularly about Ash, and simplicity is really core to high performance. I couldn't agree more. You know, so much of what you said, I can absolutely relate to in the work that I've done with high performers is when we think about the ability to achieve at that level, it is really recognizing that human behavior does work in a fairly simplistic way and in quite a predictable way. And Ash, you know, as, as the example of somebody who compare it back to some of the more fundamental components of a high performance mindset. And because if we think about, you know, elite athletes, it's yes, it's the physical skill, but really the next percenters absolutely come from having the mindset to achieve greatness to at that level. So thank you so much for sharing those experiences. Amazing stuff. And yes, the ability to learn from the incredible people that we interact with is so fabulous. I'm so curious to know, you know, you mentioned earlier about some of the pivotal human beings that have really helped you along the way and helped you through challenge. You've mentioned your dad. So there are other people out there. So if we kind of wind back the clock, let's say, maybe a couple of decades to when you were a little boy. <laughs> we'll wind back the clock. Um, so tell me a little bit about your early life experience. Whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Geelong in Victoria, probably one of, in winter, probably one of the coldest places on earth. Uh, 
<laughs> a city that is built around a football team, as you may have recently seen. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but very, a, a great place to grow up in. That it's sort of you had a, a combination of, I guess, a rural and, and country and city sort of all in one place and coast as well. You know, the coastline's beautiful down there. So you had these, all these different um, communities, I guess, all melded into one in Geelong. I really enjoyed it. I went to a school called uh, St. St. Joseph's in Geelong, a Christian Catholic uh, boys' school. So um, sport was a big thing for the Christian brothers. My mum and dad were, they loved the sport of water skiing. So we, you know, we, I got involved in that pretty early on. And the first person I remember probably having a, an impact on me was an early coach, an older guy, probably in his 60s at the time, called Frank Swain. And Frank was a, a, an old uh, keen water skier. And, and he very kindly would spend a lot of time with me, teaching me things on the water and, and helping me get better. That was the first experience I had with that, someone believing in you. You know, the, the difference when, when, and when someone engages with you and, and says, yeah, I, I can help you and I want to help you and I actually don't want anything back from you. You know, I just want to see you do better. That builds a partnership too, Jody. I think from, from that point, he's doing that for me, but my side of the bargain, my commitment is that I will get better and I, I will listen and I, and I will try harder and I, I will achieve what you're asking me to do. And I think when, you know, when that happens again, that, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, that's a, a good stepping stone to, to advance and improve and, and learn new things. I think I'm a big believer that sport teaches us some incredibly valuable lessons. I think we learn about life a lot in sport because we have success if we're lucky and we, we have failure and we have hard work and we have other people um, involved, either teammates or, or competitors who, who are different to us. And, you know, we, we have to learn about social skills to work with all that. So to me, you know, a typical day in sport or a sporting match it really is almost a, a mini, I guess, a, a micro world, if you like, of, of life. You know, there's, there's so much going on. So, and then it's accelerated on the sporting field. It's accelerated. Your interactions are accelerated. The, the win-loss thing is accelerated because that's going to happen in an hour or two. You can do your best to determine the outcome, but it may not work. So, yeah, so growing up was good. Always involved in sport growing up, which I, I think, you know, I've always tried to encourage um, kids to my kids and others to, to be involved with sport. I think it teaches you so many important lessons in life. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, headed off to uni to, so I, went, I took a year off coach water skiing in America, then came back and started, uh, finally had to actually grow up and do something. And <laughs> I went to uni and studied engineering, took a year off in the middle of that, went to work at World Expo in Brisbane as a performer in the water ski show, took another year off and went and coached the Japanese water ski team in Japan. And then eventually finished my degree and worked for a few years with BHP Rolling Steel and Honeywell in building controls. And then uh, while I was doing that, I worked weekends on, on Triple M Radio in Melbourne doing sport. And eventually I got a full-time job in at Channel 10, then Channel 7, and then ended up in Sydney in 2000 Olympic Games. And we just never got home and been here ever since. <laughs> so wow. I started, it was good. What a story. That's incredible. And um, so what do you think was the the factors that really enabled you to achieve high performance to the level that you did in, in the water skiing field? This is a hard one for me to, I think it was, to be honest, I think it was a learned skill because I started skiing when I was four years old and I went to a, a, a sent away to my first state training camp at the age of eight. And I was going over the water ski jump at the age of eight, which was, a, that was a, a hugely confronting thing because this thing was a monster floating in the river. And I had to get up and over it. I just learned over time that, you know, this, this is competition. This is what competition looks like. This is what failure looks like. This is what success looks like. And I think those skills, they, they help you establish the, those important parameters for the rest of your life. I think it just evolved for me. Uh, I think as it does for a lot of people and, and particularly in sport, you know, it's just you grow up and, and you learn this process as you go. You know, you learn this, this failure and, and interacting with people and, and meeting people from all different walks of life and, and all different backgrounds and learning about them yeah, and, and learning the social skills that, that go along with that. So but rather than, a, a, I guess, a light bulb moment or a lesson, it was an, an evolution of this is how you succeed and, and get to where you're going. And those, those same principles we talked about, you know, the, the, I guess, A, you've probably got to have the desire and you've got to have something that says, I, I, I want to win or I want to be better inside you. Um, but then you've got to have the, the hard work. There's, there's no, I don't know any shortcuts to hard work. I've no. not, never been that talented to get around that one. So, um, you know, hard, hard work is the foundation. So I think you probably take that to just about anything you apply yourself to it. it I must say, it's sort of, it's worked for me. If you've got the passion to do something, which I think to start something, you generally do have a bit of passion to say, okay, I'm going to, this is where I'm going to go. This is the road I'm going to follow. And then it, it, it all becomes about hard work and, and improving as you go and improving yourself as a person. 
Outstanding. Did any of those self-doubts, sort of that anxiety element creep in as a young man in your earlier life experiences? Uh, it's all, all I can all I can remember. Absolutely. Apparently, according to my mum, I was a highly nervous kid. I was incredibly shy. And to be honest, when I look back, I sort of think that might be why I got in, involved in the media. I was scaring the shit out of myself. I was actually facing my own demons. And I think that may be the case. So maybe I had a, I had a, a burning desire inside to be heard. I don't know what it was, but I think that shyness and, and that self consciousness that I felt has had a lot to do with where I've ended up and, and what I'm doing, trying to maybe just to, to break out of that and be, you know, be the person who I, I wanted to be, you know, probably wanted to be that, that confident person, but it just, this, this was the way I saw to do it. And how fascinating to not let it get the better of you, as we said, earlier and to just rise above it and leverage the energy and the adrenaline that comes from that and realign to heart and to passion and to grit and determination. And so what was it that enabled you to choose courage over fear? Because when the final flight is kicking in, it's really understandable to choose flight and to say, this is bloody scary. I'm going to avoid it because worry is telling me all sorts of bad things are going to happen. What enabled you to not choose flight and to lean in, feel the fear and do it anyway? It's a good question. I think been, I can just think of a million, a million trillion different moments where I, I probably, I could have turned back and, and just walked away from what I was doing, be, be it sport, uh, media, you know, getting up on stage to speak to thousands of people, what, whatever. What does it come down to? Why do you actually, why do you dig your heels in and do it and yeah. walk up there? I think there's something deep inside you that, that you push yourself. You look at the two options and maybe it's that, that thing I spoke about earlier about projecting forward to how does this look in a few hours time or days time or weeks time? Where am I going to be? And, and is that where I want to be? If I turn around now and I don't do this training session and I just throw the whole thing away, what does that look like? Well, it looks like I go and find something else and start again. And, and, uh, you know, I probably feel like a bit of a failure myself, which just doesn't make me feel good. So, all right, okay, well, let's see, we're going to do this session. Where are we going from there? Well, we can, we can have a bit of a half hour session and just go through the motions, or we can work our butt off and, and get some improvement and, and feel A, good at, at the end of it, and B, actually get better at what we do. So I think you know, if you just take the moment, uh, maybe subconsciously, that's what I do every time. It's just quickly have a, a microsecond of analysis. You know, what are the different outcomes here? And what do I want to be? Not just for my comfort in this immediate moment, but a little bit of discomfort right now. Where is that going to take me towards my road to where I want to go? I think that's probably the difference is that projection forward and, and that, you know, pinning it down to a goal and saying that, you know, that's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And how do I get there? Well, I'm going to do the hard jazz right now. I'm going to jump in this cold river and I'm going to have one more training session when my body sort of feels like it's falling apart. Or, you know, I'm going to walk up those steps onto the stage. I'm going to walk to that microphone. I'm going to start speaking and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll give it our best and see what happens from there. You know, it's, uh, Absolutely. it's a turning point. Yeah. They're like sliding doors, Jodie. I think you know, if you, you happen to pick the right one enough times, you, you end up where you need to be. That is absolutely phenomenal. And I love how you talk about sliding doors as the analogy. We typically have this choice point and your capacity to pivot in that choice point is so magnificent. Yes, worry will take us to threat because we want certainty. And that's worry's job is to focus in on all of the possible things, all of the threatening things that might go wrong. And that choice point is to notice, okay, worry's trying to boss me around and bowl me over. And you're moving out of focusing on threat into focusing on opportunity and taking it to the, where do I actually want to go here? So realigning that sliding door, moving away from threat, you know, it's the threat door that you could open, but you choose to open the opportunity door. That is so core to peak performance and to thriving ultimately, because it's the choices that you've made, which are heart-driven choices about the things that you are passionate about. What I also love about what you're saying is it's taking it to the deeper level of what is driving your behavior at any particular moment. Sometimes the fear driver can produce the adrenaline that gives lots of energy, right? But ultimately, you are bringing it back to being driven by your values of kindness, your values of passion for making a difference in this world and shining the light on other people's successes as well. 
Oh my goodness, so many cool things. I would imagine you and Ash Barty have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. That sliding doors thing is interesting because you, I think, I also feel, maybe it's a bit of a, a fear of failure, you know, to take the wrong turn and, and not get to where you, you want to be. Yeah, something in that, I guess just, just putting the moment in perspective, you know, like a little bit of pain for a lot of gain sort of thing, if that makes sense. You, you know that what you're going to do in, in the moment is, is going to challenge you and it may not be what you ideally want to do. Like there are times where, say, you're about to walk in front of the camera and you'd much rather just, just go down to the pub and have lunch. By this little act, by just overcoming this little bump, what comes ahead is, is so much better. And, and I get, you know, I, I fully, anxiety has been a big part of my life. You know, I, I feel it. I still feel it. Um, I'm 56 years old and I feel it. And yeah. I, I know that you ever master that or, or stop feeling it. But I think you learn ways to deal with it, which is, you know, which is, is what you are so expert in. But that ability to, to learn to manage is such a critical thing because unless you do, that's, that's a hard road. And, it, and there's nothing worse than when you let that, let yourself beat yourself. Absolutely right. And, um, you know, thank you so much for your transparency and your beautiful authenticity around this, because by being authentic around the vulnerability and recognizing that it's not weak to feel, it's human to feel. And anxiety is so incredibly prevalent in our society because it's part of how our brain is wired and particularly in the most caring people on this planet because of that protective instinct you sharing that will i would imagine give so many people hopefulness around stand up to fear drivers don't let worry boss you around and bring it back to heart and passion and purpose because your success mark is testament to the capability of doing that Yes, it will feel uncomfortable. Like I sit in discomfort all the time. And it's about how can we feel that discomfort and accept the discomfort and think with self-awareness around what really is my heart-driven action here. So, so beautiful. So, Mark, if you were to sort of think about what are some of the other things that you would love to share with people who experience anxiety in you know the, the global audience that would be listening in today. What are some of the key messages that you would love to share with people around their experiences? Um, first thing I'd say that, that I have used a lot is breathe. I find when I get incredibly wound up, my, my breathing rate goes fast, my heart goes too fast. And the first thing I need to do, because you cannot make a rational decision like that. So, mm -hmm. so breathing, find a way to learn to manage your breathing and, and bring yourself into a calm space so you, you can think and make sensible decisions. And mm -hmm. the second thing I'd say is that all of these tough decisions, there is a shortcut, there's a shortcut way to take, but there's a harder path with a bit of work, but there's a great bag of lollies at the end. And I always think about the bag of lollies. Now, everything has a, has a reward to it. Sometimes the reward is no more than knowing that yourself, that you overcame that and you got that done. The number of times I've walked off stage from big events, and I, I use big events because they're probably the thing that, that I find most challenging. You know, like the TV on camera stuff I, I, I can do, I've done for a long time. We had Bathurst over the weekend. We had 4.5 million Australians tuned into that. That's a big occasion. And when we first go to air on that on a Sunday morning, I'm petrified. Because you know, it's not a joke in that I could lose my job in, in a matter of minutes. If I mess that up, and it's not just something catastrophic, but if I just do a bad job, I won't be back there next year. You know, and, and where do you go from there? So, you know, this pressure rides with everything we do. And, and in all of our jobs and all of our walks of life, we can all find a moment similar to that. We're dealing with stuff and, it, and there is pressure and it, and it does Gosh, it turns my tummy just thinking about it and talking about it. I just find just got to somehow send yourself and get through it. And in overcoming those moments, you just build confidence and strength every time. Mm. You know, there's nothing, nothing more satisfying. No one else needs to know about it. I, I would suggest probably not a lot of people knew how petrified I am before a big broadcast. Mm. Me, before I go on stage, I know, and, and I know when I walk off and the job's done and fingers crossed done well. Um, I know the satisfaction that I get. That's my little world. And that's, that's a world we can all have to ourselves is, you know, that feeling of self-satisfaction. And it's, it's not necessarily high five and telling everyone about it, but it, it's just, it's, it's a nice feeling to, to be challenged and to win that challenge, you know, to beat that moment. That's such an important thing for me. And I don't know if it becomes addictive or not, or whether you, you learn to, to deal with it, but you know, as time goes on, um, all of those things that you saw, thought were big challenges, you, you, you learn to get over and you, know, you find a way around them. So I'd, I'd say, and, and having, having dealt with high anxiety on many occasions, um, you, you get through it, you know, and you can do it. And you, 
just don't let the, those demons beat you because, you know, you can find a way through it. And, and just by fighting on and getting through it, one, you'll surprise yourself what you can do, but two, you, you'll, you'll build your own confidence and your own skill for the next time around. And, and it, each time, Will become a little bit easier absolutely and hopefulness and empowerment and it is your right to live your life liberated in that way and that's so amazing i'm so curious to know there's so much more that we can really jump into around how you deal with those occasions that inevitably come up where mistakes happen given the high stakes given the high pressure yeah. how do you respond to mistakes no matter whether they're large or small? I've learned a lot about mistakes, having made so many. And <laughs> the first thing, I used to beat myself up severely. Like I would dwell on it for days and, and I'd be just a mess. I'd be unbearable. Some would say I was very grumpy, but it, it, it tore me up. You know, I probably developed a bit of almost perfectionist. I, I like to do things right. So you can imagine when you make a mistake, it, it, it can be hard. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. And that's part of anxiety as well. Part of anxiety comes from that I want to do it perfect, you know, and if I can't do it perfect, I'm not going to do it at all. I have learned to, to park them, to, if I, I make a mistake, I mess something up, I feel at the time and I, I do go, oh, shit, what have I just done? There's no other choice, especially in the world of, of live TV, live performance. You can't actually be swallowed up by the earth. A lot of people wish for it. It doesn't happen. Trust me. So you actually, you've got to push on and you can't do that. Again, it's a decision. You say, right, there are two ways I can do this. Okay, I've got no choice. I've got to go on. One, I can just be, I can just make more mistakes by being confused and angry and, and agitated with myself. Or I throw it away right now and, and I'll burn it and I start again and do better and, and I recover from that mistake. And that's probably what I've, I've learned to do. And I've not been an expert at that for very long, but I think I'm getting better at it. Just being able to say, well, that, that's happened. I can't do anything about that now. You know, that's gone. Sure, it's in videotape. It'll come back to haunt me at Christmas time on the Christmas tape. But for now, there's nothing I can do. Have a little laugh yourself, which I, I do. You know, and the, the best, I think, when you make a mistake, one of the first things you do is have a little laugh at yourself because that just diffuses the tension for you and for everyone. And then, okay, reset, let's do it better. Yeah, because I know I can do better and I want you to see me do it better. I want you to know what I'm capable of. Wow, how helpful is that? That's so fantastic. The ability to deal with mistakes. And, you know, the, this aspect of perfectionism that comes in, which is typically fear-driven because our ultimate fear is uncertainty and, well, when you're perfect, there's no uncertainty, right? Um, what's the challenge with perfectionism in your experience if we kind of say, in order to be good enough, I have to be perfect? Um, there's it, lots of it, challenge it, around that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it paralyzes you. And it's a, it's a thing probably I, I worry most for teenagers today because they're given so many images of what they should be and, and what the perfect person should be. You know, no one's putting their worst life on social media. Everyone's putting their best moments. And all of a sudden we build this image that, that that needs to be me all the time. I need to look like this. I need to do that. And I need to go there. Um, and it creates an unrealistic world. But we, you know, we've, we've heard this many times. Perfectionism is not achievable. <laughs> I've learned that. I think the thing about this, sometimes we think there, there is a, there's only one way to do something. You know, it, it's got to be this way to be perfect or be right. The reality is that, Jody, if you do something and I do something, we'll generally do it almost, almost completely differently. You know, we'll achieve the goal, but we'll go about it a different way. And that's the beauty of individuals. And I think that's the wonderful thing that we're coming back to now it is the beauty of individualism that you go your way. I'll go my way. We'll get to where we're going, but we do it our own way, you know, and I think that's just. To me, that's really, really important because the job that, so the job that I get given, say I, I get to host a, a big sporting broadcast or, or go to the Olympics or something like that. I'm given that to do in my way, you know, and the reason that, that I've been entrusted to do that is because someone thinks that I can, I can do that job, but they also agree that I will do it in my way and I won't do it the same as, as the guy over there or the guy from the BBC or NBC or New Zealand or whatever. I'll do it in my way. And, and at the time, for whatever reason, that appeals to my boss. And he thinks that the, this bloke can maybe do the job and, and do it in a way that's acceptable. I think that recognizing that you will do it your way, you know, you, you, you won't do it the way that that other person will do it, 
but you'll do it your way and your way will be good enough and it probably could be the best way and it, it will be fantastic. Wow, I absolutely love that, you know, embracing individuality and celebrating that is so amazing in the social media world where we fear, you know, others and all of those comparisons, but really bringing it back to authenticity and embracing your individuality. Well done. Oh my gosh, that's such a magnificent golden nugget there. Thank you so much for sharing. And you know, the interesting thing is when we feel like we need to be perfect in order to be good enough, we then focus on all of our perceived imperfections and the challenge that can play out there because we have this thing called hypervigilance, which focuses in on the things that we're worried about. And so if we're worried about not being good enough, built on a belief of needing to be perfect in order to be okay, and we're constantly focusing in on all of our perceived not good enoughs, that's when that dreaded imposter syndrome kicks in. I'm reflecting on a statement that you made earlier, you know, around sometimes when you're thinking about yourself and sort of this sense of, I don't deserve to be here or, you know, that feeling of feeling like a fraud. I'm really curious to know to what extent does this sort of imposter syndrome experience come up for you? Uh, regularly, <laughs> Word. Uh, a lot. Yeah, and especially when you're in a situation where you're thinking, "This the only that one person do this job, and and how did I get here? You know, why am I? Who put me here? Why have I been given this this trust to do this job?" And then, I, I, for me, I've, I've just got to fall back to the the point. Think, hang on, well, this is what I've done before. This is how I've prepared for this. Someone trusts me and thinks I can do this, and and I'm not going to waste that trust someone's given me, and I'm not going to waste this opportunity, which is. In many occasions, a once in a lifetime. You know, what I got to do at Buckingham Palace, I'll probably never get to do again in my lifetime. And I'm, I'm one of the probably the, the few people who've ever been able to, to do that. So I, I, I love that moment. And to be honest, for the, the terror that it put me through, it's given me so much joy since. And, and not joy that I necessarily share with other people, but just a, a great warm feeling I feel inside when I stop and think back to that moment. I have so many good memories. Sure, I remember the terror beforehand. But, uh, you know, having successfully done it and, and shared that moment, and I, and I do little things sometimes where if I finish an event, I will stop and pause for five or ten minutes and just look around and soak it in. You know, the fact that it's, that it's been a success, everyone's happy, uh, everyone's sort of having a good time, and I've, I've been a part of helping to create that atmosphere. And I think they say celebrate your successes, but it's not always, a, it's not a big party celebration. It's just, sometimes it's just taking a moment to say, hey, I did it. You know, I actually did that. And I was shit scared before that, but I actually managed to, to bank that one. You know, that was, that was good. I think I could do that again. For me, that's, that's probably the process I go through. But yeah, that, uh, that anxiety is, and, and imposter syndrome is a, is a huge problem. It's funny having worked in the line of work that I do where, where people are thrust in front of a camera often. I see it a lot. You know, and it, it's not unusual. And it's often the people who you will look at performing and doing their thing. They would think, boy, you know, how do they get that confidence? And, and they're so good at what they do. They are the ones that 10 minutes before were huddled in a corner trying to work out how they're going to do this, you know, and, and, and terrified at the moment. And, and bang, they make that decision and, and they go and there's no turning back. Mm, and, it's a superpower. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And Jody, I think, you know, I honestly believe we're all capable of it. We're all capable of it. You know, we, we're, we're no different. We're all the same. Just got to find that inner, inner strength and, and, you know, push through these obstacles, we're all very capable of pushing through. And I reckon nine times out of 10, we surprise ourselves given the opportunity and, and the moment with what we can achieve. 100%. And any books that you've written or people who have inspired you to, you know, help in this space of high performance and overcoming anxiety? Um, obviously, all of yours, Dr. Jody. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, that's very kind. Thank yeah. you. Look, I'm mainly, as you probably see, I, I, I read a lot of true stories. I'm just inspired by people's stories, stories of, of achieving against the odds. I, I, I love those. So I end up, I probably gravitate to a lot of, and I do have an, an interest in army and defence, so um, I probably gravitate to a lot of, of military stories. I don't read every night. I, I, I always make sure I save myself a, a, a half hour, an hour each night to just have a bit of read at night. And, it's part of my sort of unwind and, and reflect mm -hmm. time, but really, really important. And, and you just keep, I keep learning from books. You know, I, I learn something every day. Um, I'm, really fun. <laughs> I'm reading Larry Ember's book, My Old Mate, at the moment, and uh, <laughs> which makes me laugh and smile because we, we grew up in the same era and a lot of the things he's talking about are things that I experienced as a kid. And, you know, you don't, you forget about them until you read them again, but everyone's got a story and, and they're great stories and everyone's story is important and interesting and, and, and wonderful. 
I love reading people's stories now and I love being able to tell people's stories is a, is a gift. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. The power of stories and Larry, what an amazing man. And it's so wonderful that he has shared his stories in his incredible book now. So I am super, super interested in your amazing story. And I would love to ask you the question, uh, Mark Beretta, where to from here in terms of your next steps in this incredible life that you have lived so far? Uh, Dr. Jody, I think the most exciting thing is I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but You're I'm, doing enough right now, huh? No, I'm, I'm, but I'm loving it. You know, I'm really honestly loving it. I, I love my work with Seven and with Sunrise. I, I get to work with a great team. That's a privilege every day, although it doesn't always feel like it when the alarm goes off at 3.35, but it is a privilege. I'm loving diving into my role in the Army. Um, I'm meeting some incredible people, and the whole notion of service to nation was something that I was not that familiar with, but it's so strong in Army. And, you know, these incredibly dedicated people who, at the end of the day, will, you know, push comes to shove, they've They've signed an agreement and, and sworn a, an oath to to make the ultimate sacrifice for their nation. You know, it's a pretty big thing. And sure. they're just so, so committed and passionate to, to helping Australians. And I think that's awesome. And and to it a cure, you know, I want to I want to keep growing that and see where we can go. And I want to be talking to you in, in a few years' time when we've got a cure for all cancers. You just, you know, you, you take a tablet every day for the rest of your life and that's the end of cancer. Okay. Um, we, we're moving on and we're taking another challenge. So, you know, I, I have much to do. Much to do, but uh, I think I've still got plenty of energy. And uh, once I have a sleep post Bathurst and catch up on that, I'll be good, good to go again. And looking forward to what comes next. But I think the other thing too, JD, is is keep an open mind to grab opportunities when they come by. Yeah, sometimes the littlest thing will turn into the biggest project. And someone always said to me, um, I can't remember the exact words, but just grab every opportunity, like Tarzan grabbing vines. You know, just just keep reaching and grabbing and going. And uh, that's something I think can serve us all pretty well in life. You know, don't, don't let things slip you by because you never know with each opportunity what, what it leads to and, and where it will take you. And Yeah, I, I think just, just having, having a go and giving things your best is, is pretty important. Absolutely stunning. I love to live life by that philosophy as well. A choose yes philosophy. Grab yeah, those opportunities. Yeah. Absolutely magnificent, Mark. Oh, my goodness. It's been such a joy speaking with you today. And thank you for your humility, your authenticity, your passion, your integrity, and living life in line with some of these incredible superpower values. Yeah, we could have talked for hours and hours and hours. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of those pearls of wisdom with our um, community. So take care and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation outside this time together. Anytime, Jody. Love, love to talk anytime. And congratulations on your work. I, I think, you know, I, as someone who's dealt with a lot of anxiety over the years, I think the fact that, you know, we now talk about it, we understand it and we learn to, to work with it, combat it, whatever works for each individual. I think the work you're doing is fantastic. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep helping people and, and more power to you. You're awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Take care. Thanks, James. Bye. Thanks for listening to Where To From Here. If you like what you've heard, be sure to click follow or subscribe for future episodes of Where To From Here via your podcast app. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, head to drjody.com.au or follow our socials at underscore drjody underscore.